0: This is Franchise Today, brought to you by FRM Solutions, providers of the best-in-class software solutions for franchise relationship management. Franchise Today is your destination for weekly information, conversations, and interviews with accomplished industry leaders, all of whom share best practices for sustainable growth and sensible franchising. Here now, your host, Stan Friedman, to kick off this week's
1: podcast. Today is Wednesday, January 13th. I'm Stan Friedman, and this is Franchise Today. Just ahead of my conversation with Tropical Smoothie Cafe CEO Charles Watson, I want to thank my friend Greg Nathan for joining us last week, kicking off Season 12 of the Franchise Today podcast. While it seems like only yesterday, it's hard to believe that it's been more than 20 years since I first met Greg. If you haven't yet downloaded this episode, please pick it up wherever podcasts are found, or ask Alexa to play it for you on the fly. Better still, why not subscribe to Franchise Today, and that way this and all the latest episodes are always waiting for you in your inbox, with no added effort required on your part. Easy peasy. So, subscribe today at iHeartRadio, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or just about any place else that you go to download your favorites. So, what can I tell you about Tropical Smoothie Cafe? Well, I can tell you that it's a franchise opportunity that began on the beach long before it started what has now become a 900 plus location wave. Yes, what began as a single location in Destin, Florida has grown to become a lifestyle brand for people looking for something a bit better as alternatives to fast food. Every day, tropical smoothie operators serve up great tasting, nutritious food and smoothies at more than 900 locations in the U.S. It all began with that single location in 1993 and five years of proving the concept before opening their first franchise in Tallahassee back in 1998. Shortly thereafter, they rebranded from Tropical Smoothie to Tropical Smoothie Cafe and expanded their menu to include healthier food options in all-day parts back in 1999. Some tweaks to their store design package in 2005 led to the rapid and successful trajectory for growth that they've been experiencing ever since. 200 locations in 2006, 300 by 2011, a new store prototype, logo, and the 400th location by 2014, 5 500 by 2016, 600 a year later, and another 100 a year for the next two years, leading us up to and through 2020, comping positive, I might add, despite the coronavirus crisis and pandemic. To talk about all of this and more, CEO Charles Watson joins us in two minutes or less to discuss their values and culture and how they think big and take seriously the business of having fun while making money.
0: Franchise Today will be right back, but first, a word from our sponsors.
1: Join a peer group, not just any peer group. Join the only one designed for emerging franchisors. Join Zorforum. Learn more at zorforum.org. That's www.zorforum.org. Charles Watson was named CEO at Tropical Smoothie Cafe in December 2018. In this role, he's responsible for the brand's strategic vision and overall franchise performance. Coming up through the ranks, prior to that, Charles served as Chief Development Officer and VP of Franchise Development, having joined the brand in 2010. In these roles, Charles has been responsible for all development of the Tropical Smoothie Cafe brand. A veteran hospitality professional, Charles has worked for several hospitality-related companies, including Wyndham Hotels and Resorts, Intercontinental Hotel Group, U.S. Franchise Systems, and Hospitality Real Estate Counselors. A graduate of the hotel school at Cornell University, Charles also holds a Master of Business Administration from the Terry School of Business at the University of Georgia. Charles Watson, welcome to Franchise Today.
2: Just a pleasure to be on with you today, Stan. I'm looking forward to our conversation.
1: I am as well. I've gotten to enjoy learning more about you and knowing you as we've sat together on the board of the Southeast Franchise Forum and done some Mm -hmm. work for the good of the order here in the Southeast U.S. as an extension of the work we all do for IFA.
2: Much agreed. Same for me. So let's
1: start the way I always do. I'm going to guess that your parents didn't send you through 12 years at the Lovett School to ship you off to Cornell University and on to an MBA at the UGA with franchising in mind. I just don't think that that was intentional. So we're going to peel the onion back and we're going to ask you to explain how that inflection point in your career found the intersection of Charles Watson, stellar student and college grad and the world of franchising. When and where were you when that happened?
2: Sure, absolutely. We'll have to define the term stellar student. Student, yes, stellar, I'm not sure of. This is your time to glow, Charles. what I would tell you is that I actually grew up in a pretty hospitality-driven family. My dad, George Watson, came to Atlanta in the late 60s, early 70s. He was from upstate New York originally, went to the University of Tampa and got with two of his rowing and fraternity brothers and picked a spot on the map. And it was Atlanta and they came there. And what do all 21-year-old guys say they want to do after college? Let's open a bar. So they came to Atlanta and, you know, better to be lucky than good. They ended up opening bars and restaurants. And so over 20, 25 year bar and restaurant career. That was the business that I grew up in. My first job was standing on a bus tub at probably 11 or 12, washing dishes. My dad used to call it the race car. Hey, Chuck, you want to go ride the race car? Okay, dad. So work and restaurants was something I was around my entire life for the good and the bad. A lot of ups and downs for our family and our, our economics, <laughs> to be honest with you, a lot of really big success. And then by the time I was coming along and hit third, fourth, fifth grade, the the money somewhat dried up, the restaurants closed. So got to got to see that roller coaster ride. My mother for a long time was a flight attendant for Eastern Airlines. And for, for her, she's always said it was some of the few opportunities for for females back then. She did that. She went on actually after that and led a successful career down at the Atlanta Apparel Mart in a private label cosmetics business. So a lot of work ethic around me, I would say, growing up, a lot of respect for both my parents and what they did to get me through those very nice schools that you mentioned, which, you know, with two so- young kids, I'm now staring down the barrel of the, uh, the expenses of those schools. And I understand really what they went through. So coming out of high school, I actually played football and and other sports in high school, and I had interest in pursuing that. And football was probably my best sport. And I was recruited by various colleges. But at that age, of course, everyone wants to play for Notre Dame or the University of Georgia. I wasn't quite at that level, but I was recruited by Cornell University. And it really just all the stars aligned because I, I played football there for four years. I went to the hotel school. I, of course, being in restaurants, like to call it the hotel and restaurant school. But what helped me get in was all that experience of working my entire kind of middle and high school career going there. And what I would tell you about my education there was, it was basically a business school education using hotels and restaurants as the example. So when I matriculated from there, I'll be honest with you, I said, wow, uh, I saw my family finances go up and down through restaurants. I think I'll try hotels. <laughs> so I left and went into uh, work for a an Atlanta-based company called U.S. Franchise Systems. Sure. Uh, they had three hotel brands. I lived up in Boston right after uh, graduation. And so that's that's kind of how I ended up in franchising. And, you know, there's a quite a lineage from that U.S. Franchise System. Steve Rums, Romanello, the Muir brothers, Neil and Steven Aronson, Mike Levin. So little did I know it at 21, 22, Steve Romanello was my first high-level boss and that started my career in franchising.
1: So tell me about those early days. What were you doing? Were you in franchise sales or were you strategic planning or what was your role?
2: I was a franchise sales guy for for sure. I lived in Boston and I got in my car every Monday and drove all around New England and the Northeast and knocked on doors. Hello, Mr. Hotel owner, would you like to change the flag on this hotel. Would you like to build another hotel? Uh, probably wrote about 10,000 leave behind notes, left collateral. So kind of old school back in those days, right? Still had a trunk full of collateral that I was lugging around and trying to talk to people and, and gin things up. And, you know, the learning there was, uh, you know, what I really learned was you got to have a great brand. You got to have a great brand to have great success and development. I learned that. And then the second thing was at the end of the day, nothing takes the place of work ethic. If you just hustle harder, I wouldn't say I'm the sharpest knife in the drawer, but I will try to outwork you. So some of those lessons early on uh, were good that you got to have a great brand. You got to have brand awareness and you got to work really hard in order to, to make a go of it in certainly in franchise development. And then as my career went on, I got to get into some other things, but I really think that franchise development was a great place to start my career because in my opinion, someone who has to sell or consultatively sell a Franchise a whole business, which may contain real estate, it may contain equipment, it may contain all these things. That prospect or that buyer is looking to you to be the expert, not just on how you buy a franchise, but on every aspect of that business. Right. And so a a really good franchise development person is probably one of your best people in the organization to give the 30,000 or 20,000 foot view of every aspect of the business. So I think I had a, a good basis in franchising and understanding the whole franchise and all the ins and outs by working in that area.
1: You and I came from similar experiences in the early days of franchising. You worked on the hotel side. I did similar work with conversion of real estate franchises mm-hmm. for independent brokers that were in my early days. I was calling on Johnny Isaacson here in Atlanta at Northside. I was calling on Harry Norman and trying to convert those mega egos who thought they were the franchise. Uh-huh. And, you know, many ways they were much large organizations, even independently than many of the franchise brands that I was going to try to sell them into. But it was the same thing it was a discipline of many many facets so you had to know about in my world you had to know about the pain points of recruitment and programs and warranties and splits on commissions and as in the case of hotels very complex business lots of moving parts it took me years of training on the job to learn how to be able to approach somebody like a johnny isaacson or a harry norman and be able to at least have a cogent conversation with them exactly so yeah i Get where you're coming from. And I think that makes great sense. So, how long did you last in that world? And you and Tropical Smoothie found each other very early on. I think you're one of the few people that has had such a stellar career with, and I, there goes that word again. You might not like it, but you've been there for 10 years, Charles. So, you're doing several things right.
2: You know, in three days, I will hit my 11th anniversary at Tropical Smoothie Cafe. And especially in this environment, this career environment, right? That becomes something a little different being with one organization for. 11 years. And, and I'm, I'm very grateful for that because I, I can't say that looking back when I was 25 or 30 that I thought that would necessarily be the case. But no, i had had enough uh, enough snow, quite honestly, in the Northeast after after Cornell and, and Boston and came back to Atlanta and actually took a job with Intercontinental Hotels. I didn't want to get pigeonholed as just a salesperson. And so I took on some strategic services roles in Intercontinental. I got a taste of big company, right? We got 15 floors of people and 7,000 hotels. And, and what I learned there was ultimately the relationship side of corporate and meetings and meeting after meeting after meeting and having a meeting about having a meeting and how bigger organizations work. From there, I'm like, you know what? I never got to go to the University of Georgia and I need to go to a couple football games. So I, I applied and, and did the two year MBA program at UGA, which I thoroughly enjoyed. I was probably 25, 26 at the time. And then a couple iterations there, a couple more uh, bounces at U.S. franchise systems and Wyndham hotels. Early 2009, I ran into Scott Presley and he introduced me to a brand that he was working with on the private- Equity side called Tropical Smoothie Cafe. And I said, Tropical Huli, what? Huh? What? Huh? Uh, no idea what it was. I was doing some contract work at the time and I was up in Ohio and I, you know, like you do, I, I sought out a Tropical Smoothie Cafe. And I can't say that my first impression bowled me over, that I was super, uh, super impressed, but I took a flyer on it. It was a time in my life. I was still single. I was willing to take a shot at something. It was still founder led and run. And so I would commute back and forth from Atlanta to Destin, Florida, where the company was headquartered for a couple of years. That's where, I met Mike Rotundo, our previous CEO. And, you know, and Mike and I got to work uh, on the business along with Scott Presley and Eric Jenrich and David Walker, the two founders. And that's kind of where the kind of where the story started. But I was I was heading up franchise development in that part of Tropical Smoothie as well. 2012, we moved the company to Atlanta and have been kind of growing and professionalizing the business ever since. Then, kind of the capstone being Scott Presley and, and his group BIP Capital and his new group Ten Point Capital selling the brand after eight eight and a half years to Levine Light capital partners out of Los Angeles in September. So uh, before this call, I was on my weekly LLCP call. So a different ownership, but still the same goals to drive this brand and to really create brand awareness of 1,500 units, great franchisee profitability, high AUVs, and ultimately to inspire better for our guests and our customers. That's That remains the goal. So that's, that's the story in a nutshell, Stan.
1: When we come back from a break, we're going to talk about the consumer side of the business and the value proposition of Tropical Smoothie Cafes to the consumer. Got a question before that, though, about you and Scott. So how did you impressively tag up? Where did you find each other?
2: Well, you know, Scott and I actually both worked at U.S. Franchise Systems. That first job out of college, we didn't work directly together, but knew of one another and had some folks in common. He and uh, Neil and Sean Welch and some guys were the early guys at U.S. Franchise Systems. And he was a mergers and acquisitions guy, right? We were continuing to buy hotel brands to bring under the fold. As we fast forward later, I, I knew who he was. He knew who I was. The Muir brothers kind of brought us together and Scott had been pumping them for, you know, who do you know that's good, that can scale, that wants to take a risk, And uh, Tim Muir put me forward. We had lunch and uh, was off to the races from there. And, you know, I, I give Scott Presley a lot of credit. Learned just an absolute ton from him. Kind of like I talk about Steve Romanella, I feel the same way about Scott Presley. I've learned an incredible amount about the big picture about how to really drive a a company while at the same time keeping the franchise relationship at the heart of what you're trying to do, while also trying to scale and grow and make money, because you can do both.
1: Yeah, absolutely can. And I have to agree with you, both about Steve as well as Scott, both have been instrumental in my career and in my life and certainly in my education. So I'm real proud to know those guys as well. And I too forgot that we had another intersection between us, and that would be with Eric Jenrich. Yeah. So- Eric was a Blimpy franchisee back in the yes. days that I was at Blimpy running global development in the 90s. So Eric was clearly a big part of our lives back in those days as well.
2: Eric is the serial entrepreneur. He's off off doing an, another brand he's been working on for, gosh, probably five or six uh, years now, uh, Island Wing Company. And he's having great success with that. And he and his co-founder, David Walker, a Blimpy guy and a subway guy, grew up uh, in high school drinking beer in the basement. Talk about an American dream story. Eric and his wife, Delora, incredible job as well as David Walker, and they put a lot of hard work into that brand, lucky to be a part of that as well. And they've done quite well.
1: And um, did you say he's now in the wing business?
2: Yeah, he's got a brand based in Florida that he franchising called Island Wing Company.
1: Well, there's another touch point in my life. So, you know, it's amazing in franchising how there are three, maybe four, five, six degrees of separation, who knows in the rest of the world. But in franchising, you almost have to put a decimal point in front of that <laughs> number, whatever it is. Right. Amazing. Yeah. So chicken wings being a big part of my life too. I didn't know that about Eric. I have to go look yep. that up. We're We're talking with Charles Watson, CEO of Tropical Smoothie Cafe, and we're going to come back and talk about Tropical Smoothie, but first, we're going to take a quick time out. Franchise Today
0: will be right back,
1: but first, a word from our sponsors. This portion of Franchise Today is brought to you by Zoracle, providers of spot-on profiles, the gold standard of assessment tools that assure you're selecting the right franchisees every time. Unlike DISC or others that simply gauge personality or communication styles, Zoracles spot-on assessments are all franchise-specific and based upon seven sciences that nail the results each and every time. Your prospects simply answer a few questions online, and like magic, Zoracles algorithms scientifically slice, dice, and analyze their thresholds for risk their business acumen, and even their propensity for single or multi-unit ownership. Zorical's spot-on analysis is like having a crystal ball, but there's no hoodoo here. It's all based upon science that flawlessly determines franchisee, franchisor compatibility, and accurately predicts performance. Why don't you schedule a demo today and take a complimentary look and see for yourself, it's the closest thing to a sure thing. Zorical, spot-on assessments based on science, but delivering results that seem simply magical. Check them out at www.zoricalprofiles.com. And our conversation continues with Charles Watson, chief executive officer at Tropical Smoothie Cafe. So Charles, you said earlier that you weren't really impressed with the brand when you were first introduced to it. Well,
2: I think my initial impression visually, you know, upon walking in the cafe was that it looked a little kitschy to me, right? When you're going into Ohio and you're going to a place called Tropical Smoothie Cafe, it looked like kind of Disney, Florida. And again, I hope Eric and David don't kill me, but that was just my impression. And so I felt like there was so much there because the thing with Tropical Smoothie Cafe has always been the product. It's always been, yes, I'd put our smoothies up against anybody in the world, but it's the food aspect as well. Fantastic food. So what needed to be done aside from the branding piece was also quite honestly, just the unit level economics, getting sales up, getting franchisee profitability up. And as Scott Presley and Mike and I started working in 2012, one of the first things we did was ultimately change the prototype and change the brand in order to continue to drive sales and attract new franchisees. So I think we did a nice job with that. And strangely enough, I'm now in the CEO seat where we're really looking at what is the next pivot that we need to make for the brand to continue to connect with that consumer because that's what it's all about is is the consumer being drawn. I always call it, how do we connect with the head and the heart of the consumer? Because if we do that, we will absolutely have, hold a place in their head and their heart and you'll hold a piece of their wallet.
1: So what is that value proposition for the consumer and who is the primary demographic?
2: I think the value prop for Tropical Smoothie Cafe ultimately and, you know, our tagline for many years has been eat better, feel better. As I've come on, we're really talking a lot more about how do we inspire better? Because I think I think it's bigger than that. I think that our brand can play a role in being a catalyst for people to be inspired, whatever that may be. It doesn't have to be just health and fitness. It could be sharing in their community or or whatever they're passionate about. That ultimately to me is is incredibly important. And if we have that piece and then we combine that with, I gotta be honest with you, Stan, it's convenience. Right? It's the old staples easy button. that's where that's where the quick casual fast casual industry is going is how do I get a fantastic product any place anywhere anytime, right? And that's where the the digital piece comes in. So I think for us it's about being healthier, being a little bit better so you don't have the guilt while also being able to provide really bold flavors that you're not expecting in a five or six dollar smoothie or a five or six dollar wrap to exceed the customer's expectations. That is ultimately the key for us. When we talk about our core demographic, ultimately, gosh, we're a belt high, belt high fastball middle American. We do not serve wheatgrass on cardboard. We are very much healthier, right? We want to be on the razor's edge of both taste and health, right? We can't can't go too far one way or the other. But I know this. I know that if something doesn't taste good people aren't going to buy it regardless of how healthy it is. So we try to really balance those two things. And so when you look at the core customer, it's really pretty broad. It's as broad as the as the general, you know, the general pop of the United States. I'd say we're we're 25 to 45 is probably probably our sweet spot. It's the soccer mom all the way to the you and I, the busy executive running in to grab lunch and to the family occasion. So pretty broad, which can be hard sometimes in marketing as we know, right? Is is how do we how do we continue to attract and then retain those people I believe the key to that is ultimately convenience.
1: Well, and two, you've got the word smoothie in your name. So a large part of your menu mix is clearly going to be comprised of smoothies. But when you get down to the food side of the business, what percentage of your revenue is generated by food versus drinks?
2: Sure. I would tell you it's anywhere from 60 to 65% is smoothies and 35 to 40% is food. And so for many years, we've, uh, we've, I wouldn't say struggled with, but gosh, do we need to sell more food? Maybe, maybe not, right? That mix, if we stayed at 60, 40, 65, 35 for, for the duration, and we're, we're able to continue to drive comp sales and drive more profitability to our franchisees. That's fine, right? As you said, smoothies in the name. Uh, we are known as the smoothie expert. We know what we're doing there. But I got to tell you, for us, the attach rate of attaching food to that smoothie purchase, for us, it still remains about trial. It's about going into new markets and sampling and have people try our food products because they are absolutely on par with any of our competition that's out there. With the healthier halo with the bold flavors. So we think that what that means for us is that that mix, regardless of what it is, there's a lot of legs. There's a lot of blue sky in terms of continuing to drive the top line at our cafes. So we're excited about that.
1: Makes for a great segue into the discussion of how COVID-19 and the coronavirus crisis has impacted the strategic plan and even the footprint and the growth of the brand into a post-COVID era, has there been any change at all in your strategy in terms of food on or off-premise?
2: Well, certainly it has. I mean, if if I'm honest, at the end of the day, third-party grab-and-go carry-out it has it, you know COVID has fundamentally altered our business. Our digital mix has gone from roughly 24% up to about 37%. So that's a big that's a big shift in, in nine months, right? And again, so proud of our franchisees and our, our ops team was able to make that pivot very quickly. At the beginning of COVID, we, we ultimately still had a lot of franchisees to sign up for third party, right? And when you look at the DoorDashes and the Grubhubs and the Uber Eats, this was like manna from, from heaven for them. Every every restaurant company finally signing everybody up. We did the exact same thing. We rolled out curbside in 10 days. We, we did all the things that you've heard in the press that folks did. And I think one of the things that we added was actually viewing COVID as an opportunity, not something that we had to get through. And ultimately giving back to our communities. One of, you know, one of our core values is, is ultimately, about giving back and inspiring better. And so, through, uh, gosh, through January 1, we've given away 250,000 smoothies. We gave away $125,000 to the American Nurses Foundation to help with COVID relief for all the people on the front lines. And that's something I'm really proud of. And quite honestly, that's something I think will pay dividends for our brand. So, we did a lot of great things during COVID. And at the end of the day, we ended the year at 7.5% positive comp sales. So, if you'd asked me in March 29th, what do I think my comps are going to be? I would have said, well, let, let me see if I'm I'm going to have a business left by the end. So we're able to navigate it. And as you saw through COVID, it unfortunately is the winners and the losers, right? My independent restaurant operating brethren, it's been more difficult. So size and scale increasingly matters. And so I view our brand at 915 units as we're on the cusp, but we still need to get through from a brand awareness and a number of units perspective to continue to ensure that we have the resources at our disposal to really drive our products to our consumers the way we'd like to. So
1: you mentioned earlier that trial is a big part of your marketing. I'm certain that's got to have been impacted by COVID.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And again, th- those giveaways that I spoke of to, to first responders and healthcare workers, I, you know, I <laughs> that's that is marketing, right? At the end of the day. Yes, we're doing the right thing. We're supporting our communities, but I feel like the goodwill that will come from that, that is tri- when I put a food or a smoothie in your hand, one thing I can guarantee you is that you're going to want to come and do it again. And so that's really important. We train our franchisees to do a lot of sampling when they open so that people can see what we have to offer and why they want to be a customer of ours. It's always been about trial for tropical smoothie, and I don't, I don't see that changing anytime soon.
1: What about the footprint? End caps or restaurants that can have a drive through window have certainly become premium real estate this past year. Is that becoming part of your game plan and have you adjusted your footprint?
2: You know, I'd love to say that I'm the smartest guy in the world and I have this grand plan, but at the end of the day, I'd rather be lucky than good. We sold in 2020, we sold 256 franchises, a pretty good year. Very happy about that. What I would tell you that I'm more impressed with is that 70% of those franchises sold were to existing franchisees. In our current, call it the next 150 openings, almost 40% of those are drive-through. So it's happening organically and it's been happening organically for our system and for our franchise and developers that they want that cap drive-through. They want those opportunities to be at Maine and Maine. And, and you've been through this, Stan, as, as your brand grows and as you go through a little bit of consolidation and you get some of the bigger players that come into your brand, you will start to see those, right? Dunkin' and Starbucks didn't start off as only drive-throughs right they've They've evolved into that over time. So we're at the beginning stages of that. I think we're getting more than our fair share of those uh, of those drive-through opportunities. And what I would tell you is that, again, as you've seen in the trades, I'd, I'd love to say I'm the smartest guy in the world, but yes, we have a, a freestanding double drive-through that we're working on as well that we'll launch this year. We'll probably get three or four of those open. And what I love about it is it it has the traditional drive-through component. Our brand works great from a drive-through perspective. Our guests understand that it's going to be a little bit longer wait because we're making everything to order. But the secondary window is a third-party delivery a grab-and-go and a carry-out window. So that's the direction things are going and, and to have flexibility on the the pad site that those will go on, I think absolutely will be a game-changer for us. We have a lot of our big developers that really want it and they want it now and we'll, we'll start seeing those come up here at the end of the year.
1: Over the past few weeks toward the end of the year and into the last week, the opening segment of season 12 here on Franchise Today, we've spoken with people like Brian Schnell and Greg Nathan, and we've talked a lot about lessons learned through COVID. What, Charles, could you contribute to the audience? in terms of things that you'll never change. They may have come to you through adversity and through the tough times, but there are some things that are not going to change back and probably that's for the better. What might some of those look like in your world? Convenience isn't going away.
2: I mean, that's an e- that's an easy one. I'm probably not treading on any ground that hasn't already been already been spoken about. But the consumer's in the driver's seat. They will continue to be in the driver's seat, and the investments need to be made to cater to that to to that anytime, any place, anywhere. We can't invest and get stuff done fast enough. I'm sure that's how many other restaurant CEOs feel as well. Because as technology continues to double on itself, somebody's always got a new bell and whistle. I talked to the chief restaurant officer at Chipotle a couple weeks ago. And (laughs) I followed up with it. I said, hey, you guys are doing great. Continue to be the snowplow, right? Because they have the scale and the breadth that those new bells and whistles, they're typically the Starbucks and the Chipotle's, et cetera, are rolling them out. And I think that's a good thing because that's how our capitalist environment is supposed to be. People are supposed to get out in front and startup brands are supposed to chase them to provide the consumer more value more convenience, et cetera. That's the way capitalism is set up. And so, you know, I gave Chipotle a big pat on the back to say, keep it going because I'm watching what you're doing and I'm trying to stay right behind you to provide my my customers with the exact same types of experiences that you're providing. As far as lessons from this year, I would say it's people. It's people on my team, the way that my team came together in the franchisee or relationship. We had some of the hardest conversations with our Tropical Franchisee Council that we've ever had. And you know what? we got through it and we posted great results. So it's that ability to develop trust in our organization. We have an acronym for trust because I believe every single thing starts with how one person as an individual feels about somebody else and in creating that bond. And so trust for our organization, the T is for transparent, put it out there. Tell me what you're really thinking. The second is responsible. You got to do what you say you're going to do. The U is for unique be yourself. These are entrepreneurs that are trying to live the American dream. No reason to change who you are. You're not working in corporate America. You do you. The S is for service-oriented. There's no H in trust, so I couldn't call it hospitality, right? So being service-oriented. And then the last T is tenacious just getting after it. And that's probably, that's probably the one bullet that came out so much in our franchise system is just the refuse to, to lose type of mentality that both Tropical Smoothie Corporate and our franchisees have. Again, as I said, to take what seems like a disaster and try to turn it into an opportunity. And I think I'm, I'm most proud of our ability to, to have, have done a pretty good job in that area.
1: There's an old saying that I was taught by a CFO that I worked for once upon a time. And he taught us that change is certain, growth is optional. And <laughs> you've got no control over the change. You just have to wake up and know that it's coming your way. But how you pivot and if you pivot, those are your choices, aren't they?
2: Indeed. Indeed. And and when to pivot often becomes the deciding factor, right? When is, when is pivoting the right time too early or too late? That ultimately is, I'm pretty sure that's what my job is.
1: <laughs> I think you're right. And I think that I like what you've shared with the audience on trust, because literally at a unit level of 900 plus stores, or if you're working on your first 10, that's not something that size dictates. It's not something that budget dictates. It's not something that anyone in this audience can't really do a better job of tomorrow no matter where they are on the continuum. Wouldn't you agree?
2: I would agree. Absolutely. And the only thing with with scamming, I, mean, I would tell you, every one of my franchisees has my cell phone number and my email address. And I would argue they don't use it as often as they should, right? Because obviously we have all the mechanisms to get feedback, councils, and we have committees and, and all that kind of stuff. But it is about that feedback. It's about we're all humans and it's about being heard. The thing that I would say as a leader of a franchise organization, when I talk about trust and relationships, the only thing that, that kind of upsets me or, or keeps me up at night, we only need a pat on the back every once in a while, right? Because at Tropical Smoothie, we know at the end of the day, the franchisee signs our paycheck. We don't have a business without franchisees. They are our customer. That is who we service. And they in turn service the end user or the guest. And so focusing on that, the only thing that, that upsets me is sometimes when any decision we'll make is thought of as not having taken into account the franchisee's perspective. That's the only thing that bothers me because we spend so much time focusing on you know, Chick-fil-A, an incredible brand, right? Every one of their conference, rooms, they have a red chair. The red chair, nobody ever sits in it. It's meant to represent the operator. Don't ever forget the operator, right? And so that's where trust breaks down is when a franchise a franchisee may feel that a franchisor is not taking their profitability, their inventory levels, their marketing initiatives, blah 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 into into consideration. And good franchisors really belabor and try so hard to be able to do that and we certainly stand at both seeing plenty of instances where that goes completely sideways and we know that the results are not good.
1: Well, you're just mirroring and echoing what we heard last week from Greg Nathan and you know there's nothing better than validation to hear the same thing from two different people in such close proximity to one another just lets this audience know that what they heard was right because you're certainly doing it right. Talk about the opportunity and who it is you're reaching toward. I'd love to know your philosophy on expansion and share with the audience perhaps your views on single or multi-unit ownership and or brokerage.
2: So when I started Troublesmith in 2010, we, we absolutely utilized brokers, we utilized portals, but we kind of moved on from that in terms of we really wanted, and again, it's easy for me to say because I was kind of over this area wanted to graduate to a point where we honestly could do it all ourselves and create that knowledge base to be able to manage that. And as you know, the business you're in, CRM, incredibly important, your marketing, incredibly important, social, digital, trade shows. We created all that in-house, which at some point we stopped working with portals and brokers, and, and we've had good success with that. So that for us was our journey with brokers. And in terms of our growth, what I would tell you, and I, I have no problem sharing, I'm usually pretty good about sharing numbers. You know, We opened a 99 locations this year you know, you're looking at 130, 140, 150, 160 for us each year going forward. So that's measured growth, right? It's not, we're going to do 150 and then we're going to open 500, right? I've I've learned enough lessons about over-expanding too quickly. I had a call just before this with our ownership group and it was, well, what do we think franchise development is going to be this year? Of course I gave them a number, but the number is what it needs to be in terms of how many good fit franchisees are out there, right? Because whether it's, for us whether it's 217 or 249 or 226 I have a team that it's their job to find partners for us right and so they spend a lot of a lot of time doing that Tropical Smoothie Cafe is a brand, you know, quite honestly, we're still primarily single unit franchisees. We do have some franchisees that are now at the 5, 10, 15. Our largest franchisee, Dine Hospitality Group, is at about 70 units right now. They'll scale to 150 or so over the next five years would be my guess. But we're just at the beginning of that consolidation phase where some of the more astute and better capitalized operators are beginning to provide an exit for some of the single unit operators, but not to a crazy degree. 915 units. We have over 400 franchisees, Stan. So as you know, that's a lot to manage. That's a lot of franchisees. We're not a system that has three big franchisees that all own 400 units each. Uh, So we got to spend a lot of time managing those relationships. That's why people and relationships are always top of mind because it's a lot of relationships to 10. And so I think we'll see some consolidation over time. I think that this environment is really good for Tropical Smoothie, both from a real estate and development perspective. So I think you're going to see us hit our goal, which is to have 1,500 units by 2025. I think we'll have franchisees with 18% profitability and running million-dollar AUVs on 325, dollars $350,000 development costs and I think that's well within reach of doing. Those aren't pie in the sky. Those are chop wood, block and tackle year over year, and we'll get there. And we'll have some mighty happy franchisees when we're at a three, three and a half to one investment ratio.
1: You talked earlier about the organic growth, and I think that's terrific. There's no better testimonial or validation than an existing franchisee coming back for more. So with the numbers that you're looking at posting between now and say the next five years, what percentage of those might you suppose are going to be people that are already known? to you versus those coming in for the first time?
2: You know, Stan, I think it's probably going to be, I mean, we, we've got a good two or three years above 60% existing franchisee. This was our highest year of existing franchisee sales at at 70%. So we've been between 60 and 70%. I think it stays right about there. I think what comes in is probably some of the larger operators, right? The 10, 15, 20 pack folks. I'm not a guy who likes to do big package deals because those never seem to work out, right? You get two of them open and that 50 pack turns into nothing. So I think we'll see some larger multi-unit operators start sniffing around and seeing that our business model works and can be scaled for them. But I think we're we're probably right about at it and we'll probably continue to improve it. So if we're about 70% now, I can see us over the next five years moving to almost 80, 85% with that
1: great numbers. And literally, you got a lot to be proud of there, Charles. We're coming to the place in the interview, though, where we're going to have to wrap it up pretty quickly. But I can't let that happen without asking you first, if there's anything that I haven't asked that you might wish that I did.
2: That is a wonderful question, as always. Nothing is popping into my head. So if you have one teed up, let it rip.
1: No, that was your opportunity to sign, brother.
2: <laughs> well, I mean, I you know, I could do a, a Tropical Smoothie Cafe franchise development pitch, but I think your listeners probably know enough to go to a website and check it out. But I'm excited. I'm excited about this brand. I'm excited about the story that is built on many years of hard work and is built on a franchisee-franchisor relationship that is really key. And by the way, guys, it isn't easy. <laughs> it's not easy. You know That whole being transparent thing can lead to some animated conversations. But the only other thing, top of mind as we saw how politics shook out, especially in our home state here of Georgia. I am concerned for franchising as an institution, and I'm very interested to see what happens over the next 12 to 24 months in terms of what I believe to be one of the greatest economic engines for entrepreneurs, that is the business of franchising. And if it comes under threat from government intervention, I'm fearful of that. That's one that keeps me up at night, as I think it does you as well.
1: It does. And I think too, the part about it that is the most agonizing is it's one of those things that we have so little control over now that everything is colored blue. So I think it's going to be an interesting thing to see how we pivot and help get government relations back on track to help those that are in power understand that legislation like the PRO Act being codified could be existentially damaging and threatening to franchising as a way of doing business itself. Exactly. So you, you gave me the room there to do that. Sometimes we have to address the politics of what's going on in the world because it does so impact our business, doesn't it? It
2: does. It does indeed. And I'm the saying- Boy, I'm a pretty purple guy to begin with, but this one's pretty easy to see. Sometimes you got to vote your heart or vote your uh, vote your business interests. I think is completely normal and natural. And I will tell you, you know, I'm a, I'm a new member of the IFA board. You've been involved with IFA for so long and been such a champion for IFA that the pivot is going on. The conversations around the pivot are are happening, and there's and there's work being done. So I am I am heartened by that, and I'm certainly willing to put my back against the wheel to really get the message out about how much benefit the loved industry of ours does.
1: Charles, are you willing to share any contact info for those that may want to reach back out to you offline?
2: Absolutely. Happy to. Email is always best for me. C W-A-T-S-O-N, at TropicalSmoothie, S-M-O-O-T-H-I-E.com. Watson at TropicalSmoothie.com. And I look forward to hearing from you.
1: As always, my friend, it's a pleasure. The time has just come and gone very quickly, but I've enjoyed it as I know the audience will too. Thanks, Dan. Have a great day. You know, I could go all day long with Charles and never run out of things to talk about, and he's got a fabulous sense of humor to boot. If you ever have the opportunity to listen to him at a conference or on a Zoom call, don't let that opportunity slide by. Charles has lots more to share and a pine on than our time together today would allow, and he's always happy to do so. Next week, I'm joined by the affable Eric Van Horn, also a franchise podcaster, a successful franchisee, an area developer, consultant, and... Newly minted franchisor. We're going to get into it all in our time together with a special focus on something that's now near and dear to me, which has to do with mastermind and peer groups. Eric Van Horn next week on Franchise Today. Until then, keep making great things happen for your franchisees yourselves, and all of those that you care about and support. Keep working smarter and hitting the gas harder as we punch through whatever gets in our way during this new year and beyond. Until next week, I'm Stan Friedman, wishing you the best, the very best of all things franchising, and Franchise Today is out.
0: Franchise Today is a production of FRM Solutions, providing best-in-class CRM tools to empower relationships with prospective and existing franchisees. No excuses, just solutions. Find them online at frmsolutions.com. Join Stan every Wednesday at noon Eastern for another live episode of Franchise Today. Or, as always, download episodes on demand at blogtalkradio.com or iTunes.